A Rich Tradition College Football Podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to a Rich Tradition College Football Podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Steltonpole. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Roberto, how are you, my friend? Uh, doing good. My, my my son just walked in as you were doing the intro just to say goodnight to me. Give me a kiss, boy. Hey, I love you. Sweet dreams. Can you say bye, Mr. Spencer? Bye, Mr. Spencer. Okay, go. go. Bye. Hey, man. I, I don't know about you. I'm surprisingly doing pretty great. Like, most Surprisingly? People, yeah, because like, just like most people. Well, yeah, assume, there's kind of a meltdown happening. Kind yeah, of a meltdown happening. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of people lot like people just, really hurt. Yeah, some people are just like, man, like y'all know there's more to some life, right? People, who, yeah, some people who you never thought cared about college football <laughs> really have strong college football opinions today. You just made me spit my drink out. <laughs> what about that was exactly funny? Uh, what made me spit out is because I thought you were talking about all the Georgia fans losing their crap today. And over the weekend, but you were actually talking about the real meltdown, which is all of college football society and those outside of it. And apparently former President Trump and DeSantis having hot takes about college football when you know they don't like all these people getting all upset. Don't give two craps about about the playoff. It's just something to be upset about. Um, well, and they, they see they they well, from the political standpoint, yeah, they, they see their base getting riled up about something. So let's go stoke the fire and see if we can't win a couple yeah. of brownie points. And yeah, agreed. I, I imagine that's all all politicians. There's yeah. I think there's Florida state of the not just DeSantis, but others in the state of Florida that are like, yeah, let's let's sue the college football playoff committee. Yeah, like, OK, okay. yeah, we're, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the playoff and everything around that. But um, we're going to talk about that at the end. Um, because we, sir, Spencer, you and I are going to start, t- we're going to talk about the thing that most of our friends, our family who listen, and most Georgia fans want us to talk about first. And normally we say that till the end, but we're going to talk about it first today. Dogs. Let's talk about Georgia. So for me, Dogs. I've got, I, I want to I hear your thoughts. I've got seven. I've got seven reasons why Georgia lost, um, which we'll get to in a minute. Seven. Yeah, I've got seven reasons why Georgia lost. Um, and I kind of got one. Oh, <laughs> let, let me ask you. Smart, let me ask you this, Spencer. But just okay about about the fact they lost. You and I, okay. So eleven years ago, um, eleven years ago this past week, you and I sat in my apartment in Valdosta on my couch with our wonderful, beautiful friend, Aaron Powell, who is a Bama fan. And you and me watched the, the debacle of Mark Rick and essentially the timeline or the, the countdown that began his firing in the sec championship game. It's not something I want you to necessarily relive. I'm not trying to give you PTSD, but you and I relive you, you and I live that loss together. We also lived the, 20, 2017 national championship 
we lost that. We we experienced the 2018. We experienced the slaughter in 2019 by LSU. We experienced the 2020 not even really kind of getting close. We experienced we, but we also experienced the victories the 21 and 22. And we've seen had so many losses over our time as Georgia fans. But I'm gonna be honest with you, Spencer. This past Saturday's loss to Alabama had to be the least frustrating and least like the least like it did not linger with me like other losses have. What about you? So I I can understand what you're saying, but I think the one thing that did sort of whip back around and kind of pop me in the back of the head and, you know, sort of made your eyes water just a teeny tiny bit was Bama still Bama, you know, Mm kind of like, uh, you know, we, we gave them a, we gave them a, a, a little, a little couple of jabs and backed them up into the corner and kind of, put them on the ropes if you want to say it that way and they had an answer they they popped right back and so there's a part of that and georgia has a chance to do that too in the future yada 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 but just that that part of it's kind of like man that's that's a real behemoth over there and you're not just going to knock them down one time you know they're going to come back around and so the fact that it's still bama's league it's still you know they're on top they're still the standard they're still up there and there's still that mountain to climb that part of it even after two national championships back to back there's a little bit of that that sort of has you like oh my goodness we thought we were done with this not really but you know what i mean yeah no i no i agree with you um uh, it's it's it but to me this loss was more annoying than it was like gut-wrenching or heartbreaking like i think that's probably the difference um, for me, because you're absolutely right, and this is why I picked Bama to win, because I I felt like Georgia did not have that it factor. It didn't feel like they had that it factor this year. There's a lot of reasons. We're, we're going to talk about the again the seven reasons why they lost here in a minute. But I mean, Spencer, here here's the thing that I walked away from this game with. Like <laughs> of all the things that I'm about to list of the reasons why Georgia lost and the things you're going to point out. I still walked away positive with the fact that Georgia played its worst game this season in a lot of ways and still only lost by three points. That yeah. that that that's not a moral victory. It's something to it's it's something to move forward with. And yeah. and I and I I'm going to walk forward with that pretty positive. Yeah, I know people don't like moral victories, and I know coaches, I think, are the ones who who don't like moral victories, but. I can like a moral victory. I have yeah. I've never had a problem liking a moral victory. And while they don't obviously fill up the trophy case and they don't all these other things, but yeah, like and I think we said it ahead of time. Um Alabama's gonna have to beat Georgia. Somebody's gonna have to beat Georgia. Georgia's not gonna do a ton of things hmm. that beat themselves. Now they had except some for, plays in this game. <laughs> oh, yeah, they had a couple of things in this game where they did, you know, stub their toe and did things that they don't typically do. But part of you thinks, well, did how much of that was Bama forcing that, and you know, again, just imposing themselves and and beating Georgia, and how much of it was Georgia just where you know there was no reason for that to happen. Uh, again, I know there's probably you can pick some things out. But I think I said specifically, Georgia's not going to do a ton of things to kill themselves or to break their own back. And I I think that that's fairly okay to say, even after Saturday, that they didn't do a ton of things to kill themselves. 
but they probably did put themselves between a rock and a hard spot. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I think probably the best way to put it is they, they did, they, their mistakes kept them from being able to come back. It's not that they kept them from, it's not that they, these game these mistakes lost in the game. It kept them from being able to come back in the game. Um, all right, Spencer. So, so before I jump into these these reasons that I've written down, like what are what are some like of the like just highlights of the game for you that really kind of stood out? Yeah. So I think Georgia had another slow start, even though they opened the game with an eighty three yard touchdown drive. After was that, there was nothing. After that, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Not anything. I mean, I I didn't. Georgia just. It was almost like Alabama said, "Okay, let's see what you're doing." And then we're going to take the rest of that away, um, was how that felt. So Georgia kind of got off to a slow start offensively overall on, on that side of the ball. And then it felt like the defense kind of faded late in the game when you really needed to hold there in that fourth quarter. You needed to hold that one touchdown off the board. Alabama was able to get it, whether the defense. And I guess you can argue the defense might have hiccuped early on and mm-hmm. it made that and touchdown late. later. It made that touchdown later, you know, cost that much more because you gave up stuff earlier. However you want to look at that, the defense faded in moments of this game and some of it was late when you really needed that that additional stop. The offense didn't look like it normally does and has all season long they never really seemed to find their way felt like some of the some of the stuff we tried to do offensively was kind of like okay that's not working what else is there mm-hmm. and I, part of me feels like that's a reasonable spot to be as a fan i can admit you have admitted we can admit we don't know all the ins and outs of play calling and what what that part what goes into that yep but some of this stuff isn't working Let's find something else. And I thought Gary Daniels made a decent point at one time. If Brock and, oh, Ladd are not 100%, yep. where are the other guys? Yep. Because those it, other yep. guys have stepped up without Ladd and mm-hmm. Brock on the, on the field. So hey, man, brother. Can we, can we just go to them? Can we just say, Ladd, take a breather for a, you know, a couple of plays or a, a couple of drives? Brock, take a breather? for a couple of drives and get the people on the field that can get separation and are not just being, you know, is there, are there other answers here? Yep. And it felt like Georgia just kind of stuck to what they thought was going to break. We yeah. Just I, this, we're going to yeah. keep doing it. We're going to keep pounding away. And it's, you know, it's like Novocaine seven plays and it's, you know, just take its time and, and it'll work eventually. Whatever that line is from remember the Titans. And it just it never really seemed to break until maybe maybe late with the with the two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Yeah. No. Uh, okay. So so this is preamble to my uh, to my actual uh, reasons. No, I think you're 100 percent right. I think you know. Let's just go ahead and get this. All right, Spencer. I'm gonna go through these seven things. You push back on this um, if you want me to explain anything. Uh, have me, and then we can kind of just use this as a dialogue uh, continuer. Okay. Um, number one, the loss of uh, the loss of Amarius Mims probably broke this offensive line's back in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
after he got hurt, I think in the first quarter or second quarter, uh, the offensive line just was unable. The right side of the offensive line was unable to uh, get push off those um, up the middle runs. Hence the reason why we get bogus third and two toss sweeps and we get bouncing to the outside plays with Kendall Milton, who is not known for doing that at all. Um, I, I really do think that it changed the offensive game plan for for Georgia in some ways, and it led to Georgia averaging 2.5 yards per carry. 31 carries, 2.5 yards per carry. Kendall Milton only got only got 13 touches. Who has been the hot hand for this team? All see like the, I'm sorry, the last month of the season, and you only give him the ball 13 times, and all the, and most of them are to the outside, which is not what he does best. It's not what he scored the touchdown on. It's not what he scored his second touchdown on. It is up the middle. It is giving him time to read for a second and then cut up a hole. And losing Amarius Mims, I, I think, just really hurt. Um, Kirby, number, are you any pushback or anything like that, or anything to add? No, it, it, some of those toss plays to the outside, it just kind of kept can what what is this? This mm-hmm. it wasn't there the first. It, no, we it haven't wasn't run the, there we even have not a run, little bit. We have not run these plays. Why are you running these plays right now? But keep going. Yes. When, yeah, just the, the fact that they we've had success with that stuff in other games, but then it's not successful here. Okay, what is what is the step two? I was one of the coaches that I talk to at VSU all the time talks about when we're playing really good teams, we have a punch and we and we play them multiple times throughout the season. We deliver a punch, they deliver a punch, and then there's the counter. We have that first game, and then the second game is the counter because this is what we do. And then how can we draw up wrinkles on the things that we like to do to sort of make it look a little different? What are the wrinkles? Bobo felt like he had no wrinkles. And I hope I'm wrong. And maybe the wrinkles just didn't work, but it felt like there weren't very creative or elaborate wrinkles going on in this game. Okay, so uh, here's what I'll say to that before I get to number two, which includes Kirby and Bobo. I do think there were there were plays that were open. Um, I will say this. Well, this is skipping down to number seven. Uh, We'll get back to it in a second. But. The play call, the like the fumble within the ten yard line, you know, so many people want to get upset about about that about that oh you know about that play call. You're not supposed to call that play. Well, let me tell you something, folks. In case you weren't paying attention, and I got to see the all twenty two the all twenty two video of this. That play is wide open. If Dylan Bell or I'm sorry, if Carson Beck gives a better handoff of that, which he did so lazily, if he gives a better handoff, Dylan Bell runs for easily. 40, 50 yards. It was so open, Spencer. But let's get to my second critique of why Georgia lost. Kirby and Bobo allowing our offense to be conservative and scared for two full quarters. For the second and third quarter, this this offense was coached in a conservative, scared fashion. And it was so disappointing to see. And I, I don't understand why Kirby, who talks about attack, attack, and for the last two years, I would argue, has been hella attacking offensively, just allowed himself just uh, allowed himself to to handle it, like like to handle it in such a conservative way. It was, it was I mean, I just don't I don't get it. What's your response to that? 
No, I, I think you're yeah, you're picking up right where that's I, I felt the same way. Um, just conservative sounds right. All right. Number three. Probably one of the biggest ones is the handling of McConkey and Brock Bowers. Not allowing players like Evans, who returned the punt, and CJ Smith to do more than they did. When they showed that they that they'll trust Evans enough to return a punt, but don't trust him enough for a screen or a route or something along those lines blows my mind. McConkey was at maybe 50%, if that, especially after he re-injured the ankle. He he, he was he uh, yes, I know he had a big catch in the fourth quarter, but but I really I really think anyone could have had that catch. He was not right. The commentators continue to point that out. He was wasting space. This has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with their heart or their tenacity to play. I'm so thankful that they played, but they were not being beneficial. And we were relying on them in a way that was not helpful. When you have these kids that you have recruited, why not play them? Anthony Evans, you will allow this kid to return a punt in the fourth quarter when he hasn't returned a punt really all year except for like some uh, some cupcake game earlier in the year. And he takes it, what, was like 40 yards on, on, a, on a punt return? You'll let him do it then, but you can't give this kid a screen? You can't give him some kind of play to do more? And C.J. Smith, who only got one play of the entire game, why are you not? Why are you allowing these players to be so hurt? And your loyalty is costing you an opportunity to win this game because you have talent everywhere. Why aren't you using the talent? Assess. Nope. That's nope. You. Um, I, I. I think I mentioned uh, everything I had on that earlier. Yes. Continue. Not, nothing yeah. to you. You're you're hitting the nail on the head. Okay, uh, this I, I so I, I don't really I don't really cuss, and so I don't. I, you'll know what I mean whenever I say this. But the defensive line at times played like a bunch of word I don't say. No, we probably because we probably have horses rear end. Hor- no, I mean I was gonna say well another word for a cat, but oh, let's let, geez, Louise, you kiss your children <laughs> with that mouth. Yeah, I. I, I know I was so I, I like I was just I I understand at times like you, you're going to get blown off the ball like I mean you're playing against other five stars you're playing against other dudes sometimes they're going to win but there were just there were entire sequences especially in the second quarter Spencer where I, I just I felt truly like all Georgia did was play soft on the defensive line. And, and I, I don't understand how how Kirby, how Searles, or I'm sorry, not Searles, uh, how Tucker, not Tucker, oh, why can't I remember his name, the defensive line coach. I, I, I don't understand how they allowed that to happen. And, and this goes back, though, to something like so many people like think Kirby's screwing around or not being honest whenever he says this stuff at, at preseason media days or at spring practices. His very first spring practice with our team, with, with Georgia, he said that. The offensive line wasn't good enough, and the defensive backs weren't good enough. And so, you know what? He, so, you know what happened that first season? We got whipped on the, we got whipped up front, and we got whipped in the passing game because we didn't have the right dudes. That's why he had to go get Mo Smith from Bama to follow him, so he could have some kind of a decent safety to to control these these bunch of misfit toys that he had on defense. And 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 so, at the beginning of this season, Spencer, he said that the defensive line wasn't good enough. He said the pass rush wasn't good enough. 
And that chicken didn't come home to roost until, unfortunately, the worst, the worst absolute moment. Well, yeah, and two, I think not being good enough is this moment from Saturday. It's they're not good enough for this moment. They're good enough for Tennessee and for South Carolina and for Auburn and for the majority of the regular season, they're good enough. It's just they're not good enough for those one or two games this year and maybe even three or four games this year where you're going to play other people who are that good up front also. And so, yeah, I think that's that's the other part of it that people don't get it when he says stuff like that because it's like, oh, yeah, we'll be fine and the regular season will be fine because, sure, we got time to work on it. We got things to mix and match and yada, yada, yada. It's when you're playing against Nick Saban or Ryan Day or Jim Harbaugh and their offensive lines, defensive lines, whatever. That's what he's talking about when he says not good enough for them, for the other elites. Yeah, absolutely. No, okay. Anything else you want to add to that? Mm -mm. All right. Number five, one of the few times that you're going to hear me say something like this, and I'm just going to say this to my friend Emily, um, who is a big Bama fan who's listening. I love you, Emily. Um, Just stick with me. And, and you'll hear something soon, okay, that's more positive and giving your team credit. Number five, Spencer, and again, I don't I don't like bringing this part up, but it, it unfortunately, I can't not mention it this time. Uh, no, it did not cost them the game, but the ref, the referees absolutely played a hand in the outcome of this game. They absolutely did. Yeah, missing that, missing, not, not getting a review on that, on that fourth down catch. It's... Or the face that, mask. That was a miss. Or, or the face mask on on Milton. Or the blatant pass interference on Bowers. I'm not talking about in the end zone. I'm talking about he, he was in the middle of the field on a third down. Um, and Beck, Beck, it looked like Beck overthrew him, but the reality is, is like, no, he had a guy on his back, so he couldn't jump up and catch it. Um, and and there, were, there were just so many obvious holding calls that just were not there. Bama came into this season being the 12th most a penalized team in the SEC and like top 20 in the country. And they got called only twice Spencer for twice for a penalty. Are you kidding me? For three years now, they've been one of the most penalized team in the country. And then all of a sudden in one night in the most important game, playing the most athletic defensive line that they've played all season. You're telling me there was, there's not a single hole. There's not a single issue with this team. And, And like that, that's really frustrating. Anything to add to that? No, it no, uh, nothing to add, but uh, other than, yes, it did feel like there were some things that were missed. Um, Just, and, it's, and as the loser of the game, it's always easy to point fingers yes. and those kinds of things. There were definitely, and I know you, you're not saying this, there were definitely things that Georgia should have done better to for it not to have mattered. But, you know, when you lose by three, and there's a touchdown on the board thanks to a play that maybe wouldn't have been there had they reviewed it. It was a fourth down play, so no, that touchdown's not there. And then George gets that, the ball. That's frustrating. Yeah, yeah. and then and then that's George gets the ball. And I do want to take a second and point out something. Yes, it it yes it sucked people that they didn't review that, and then the next next quarter, like they reviewed the 51 yard play on Arian Smith. I know that sucks, <clears throat> but. At the end of the day, Kirby Smart has – he does have someone in the booth watching the TV coverage of the game. 
indicating to him, hey, you should review that. And I I can almost guarantee you that here, here's what happened. It was so it was it was close to them and it was too close for them to waste their final timeout to to review the to review that play. Because Kirby wanted to keep wanted to save that timeout. And if he hadn't saved that timeout, then Georgia doesn't get an opportunity at least to kick a field goal at the end of the half, which I know is missed, and it, it which has nothing to do with the refs, like the missed field goal. What has to do is like, why are you like, why are you, why are you fault starting? <laughs> why did you give our kicker a fifty-yard kick <laughs> at the end of the half, which is already hard enough to make? Um, anything to add to that, Spence? Uh, no, you got it. Okay. Um, Number six, Spencer, and this is this is one of the reasons why I picked Bama to win this game. Um, lingering injuries of this team became its downfall. Mm-hmm. We knew. Okay, so as of Wednesday night, Ra Ra, Ra Ra was seemed to be good, but then he woke up Thursday and his ankle was incredibly swollen, so he couldn't. So he could obviously he couldn't play. McConkey. McConkie and Bowers, like Kirby told them, hadn't practiced in two weeks because they were trying to give them rest and try to see if they were ready. Well, obviously, maybe to a degree, they were able to walk, so they were able to play. But then you've also got, you know, Amarius Mims, who, you know, had just had ankle surgery earlier in the season, hurt the exact same ankle. You got Tate Rallage, who's coming off, who was coming off an injury. Man, he played great, though. Then then you've got uh, Dumas Johnson, who was unable to play, who is by far the best of the middle blitzer of the linebacking core, which he so he didn't get to play. Then you've got Julian Humphreys, who is the best cover corner on this team, who uh, unfortunately was unable to play like. George and like again, I've listed several other things of why Georgia lost this game, but you cannot tell me that the injuries didn't play a part in it. Sure, no, I mean, and everybody, I'm sure Bama, somebody from Bama could speak up and say we had this guy out and we had that guy out, and sure, absolutely, uh, we had to play freshmen that weren't come, you know, weren't able to be all the way ready and. You know, that's sometimes how that cookie crumbles. Sometimes you have to put people out there and hope that they can, you know, not make mistakes and hold down their position. And in this case, Georgia, uh, you know, didn't have didn't have that opportunity. Um, I apologize. I lied. There was there was eight things. Seven, seventh reason. <laughs> My bad. I, I, I just forgot. Seventh reason. Georgia played its worst game of the year. Carson Beck did not play well. Carson Beck had... Surprising. Go ahead. I'll let you finish. I was just going to say, Carson Beck Carson Beck had legitimately three passes that should have been intercepted. That's true. Yes. Good point. The offensive, I think that's why it feels like he had a worse game. He was 21 of 29 for yes. 243. 243 is not great on 29 attempts, but um, 21 of 29, I was like, what? I was very surprised to see that final stat. Go ahead. And and no, no, just Carson Beck didn't play well. The fumble, I, I blame him for that fumble with how lackadaisical he was, like I said. Also, he wasn't paying attention and making sure that the ball got off. And he just stands there like, oh man, nothing's going on. Not even looking to make sure that the ball got completed. That's why he looks like he's he doesn't know he doesn't know what's going on when the ball gets fumbled. <clears throat> 
Um, there, there were just, and there were a couple, there were several other decisions that I just didn't understand that he made. And then obviously, like, I mean, back to the Kirby and Bobo thing, like, he was openly frustrated. There, you know, you can you can see it on the TV on the TV copy of the game. He, there's a moment where we run a bogus play on third down, and he says, "What the f are we doing here?" And 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 he's right. Yep. He's right. And and here's the thing, though, Spencer. Even though, even though he played a bad game, I think he I think part of the reason why he, we we play he played a bad game is because one Kirby and Bobo didn't let him cook. The way that they did in the fourth quarter. Two, he didn't have healthy wide receivers to throw to. And three, there was conservative as crap play calling that did not benefit his play style, which he has thrived in, I would say, since the Auburn game. I I just it was anything to add to that before I get my last one. So, like I said, he finished 21 of 29 for 243. But you take away the the big completion of 51 yards, just take away that one big play, he was 20 of 28 for 192. Mm. 28 attempts, 192 yards. Jesus. That's, and then and like you said, nearly three passes should have been intercepted. So it, it, that's it, not an effective day throwing the football. And I think that's not just Carson. But that's the other things that you just touched on as well. The receivers, the use of the receivers and and guys being injured, and then also uh, you know, conservative play calling, that sort of thing. Lots of different stuff goes into 20 of 28 for 192. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, Spencer, number eight, and it was the biggest reason why. I picked Alabama to win this game is because Alabama is a really freaking good football team. They're the best defense possibly in the country, regardless of what stats say. They're the best defense in the country, and they did the one thing offensively that that Georgia has struggled to stop, and that is that zone read off the edge running game, and Georgia could not set the edge consistently all night. Do y'all do y'all realize like I'm sure y'all saw it pointed out because Gary Danielson was having a freaking fit about it. You're not like it's not common practice to run every down on defense with two with two spies. That's not a common thing to do. And no, Milrose legs definitely had the defense. Uh, they were focused on that for sure. Like, it, yeah, it it was just it, it was infuriating to watch. At times, and that 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 aspect is one of them. Bama is a very good team, and people can get upset, you know, that you know this person scored or that person got a big play. Former Georgia players, but at the end of the day, you got to give credit to Alabama for being a great team. And you know what? Also, to add to this, they outcoached Georgia. Yeah. Kirby Smart and company was a hundred percent outcoached in this game, and it's not even close. Jalen Milrow didn't necessarily set the world on fire, but he made all the right plays. Um, he had 68 yards gained on the ground outside of the 39 yards loss on sacks. But before the, you know, those 68 yards, all of that was super crucial. And then uh, his 13 of 23 for 192. Those aren't outstanding numbers, but they're good enough. He was. Five of six for 101 yards in the second quarter, and he was five for five for 69 in the fourth. 
And I mean, sometimes that's all it takes. When you're playing the kind of defense that they're playing, sometimes that's all it takes. And then when Alabama's having the rushing success that they were having at times on the night, again, five for five goes goes a long way. Five for six or 100 yards goes a long way. Getting um, you know those two things sort of complementing complementing themselves. Yeah, and it's a big night in the fourth quarter. I, I don't know if you will remember this play, Spencer, but I I knew that the the comeback just wasn't happening. Was when it, I think it was on a third down. Milro Milro is getting pressured. He's about to get tackled, and before he does, he gives a shuffle pass to Isaiah Bond. Yeah, stepping up in the pocket. Yeah. Yeah. I think that play I yes. think that that play might be the play of the game. Yeah, that's the backbreaker for sure. That 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 was it. Like and that's some of where I'm coming from that I feel like Alabama came in and and beat Georgia. Georgia did make their mistakes on the night and Alabama had to make them pay for it. And I think that's one of those spots that it's not a Georgia fumbles, Alabama picks it up kind of mistake and then capitalize on it. But it's just Georgia left themselves vulnerable, and here's a spot where they they took advantage. This was sort yeah. of the the final nail in the coffin, if you will. Yeah, it, it it was just it was hard because again, with all that negativity, with all those things I just listed, they still had every opportunity to win the game. Oh yeah, Georgia definitely had several opportunities. Definitely. And, de- and de- de- definitely, de- 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 definitely, Raymond, de- definitely, Raymond. Um, if you don't, if you don't fumble, they don't get three points. If you don't give a false start, you, he probably doesn't miss. He probably doesn't miss the field goal at the end of half. Like you know, and again, like what we already said, and I understand this. If they make the right call, they probably don't get those seven points. And two, real quick, you know, you mentioned the fumble and the three points. Give credit to Georgia's defense yes. for help. And I know we've mentioned that they faded in spots, and I think that that's fair that they faded in spots. But for the most part, Georgia's defense did what Georgia's defense has done before in the past. Keep this game close enough, even in the past earlier this season, keep this game close enough and give the offense an opportunity. I do think Georgia's defense did that for the majority of the night. And yeah. the offense was just never able to capitalize. Having that fumble at that spot on the field and holding them to three three points, that's a big win. That's a big, big win for yeah. the defense. And that's a good point. you're just not able to build on it. That's a good point. You know, <clears throat> I've got a friend, her name's uh, Caitlin Dan, who despises Bama, rightfully so. Um, and, she, you know, she, she, is, she, she always says, like, you know, Bama's overrated. You know, every year she says, you know, every year she says that. I'm gonna I'm gonna say though this year Spencer this Bama team may be underrated, and yep. I I think they just I think this is a team that's just going to continue to find a way to win. So, all right, well we spent 40 minutes on that. Um, Spencer, the good thing is like there's not really a lot of great games um o- o- over the course of the weekend. There is one other one though. Um. I want to talk about that game real quick. The other really good game for the weekend. And that is Oregon at Washington. Now you and I, uh, I only missed one. I only missed one, one game this week. You missed two. 
this is the other one where where we we both missed this game. We both picked Oregon to win. We thought Oregon was peaking at the right time. And Spencer, like, I'm just, I mean, I'm just gonna say, it, like, it kind of felt like I know the game looks close, but I kind of feel like Oregon. I mean, I kind of feel like Washington owned this game in a lot of ways. What do you think? Yeah, and when you look at the box score, yes, outside of a, um, outside of like a second and third quarter where they outscored Washington twenty four to ten. I don't know. I think it's deceiving, really and truly, uh, because it feels like hey, a twenty to three lead for Washington. It it, it you know, it's twenty to ten at halftime, but then Oregon scores those two point those two touchdowns in the third quarter, and they're leading. At that point, 24-20. I remember leaving. I had some basketball duties with with VSU for the night. And so I remember seeing the 20-3 to score thinking, what in the heck is going on with Oregon? Kept checking Bo Nix's numbers. Like, well, it, Bo, Bo's not necessarily playing terrible. He, do, he doesn't look like he's playing outstanding either. But I, th- I kept thinking, what in the world's going on? 20-3, to and then by the time I get home, it's 24-20. Of course, I walk in the door, and that's the fourth quarter where – Washington just absolutely goes crazy in the fourth quarter. Um, that was the all of the game that I got to see. And wow, what what a fourth quarter just by itself, not not to mention the rest of the game. But Washington definitely owned that fourth period and um, and walks away with uh, what we believe to be the final Pac-12 championship. And that was really sad. That, that was a sad realization. Like while watching this, it, like, it is at this point. They yes. had a hoorah last last year. This has been a great last season for the conference. We've not always said that. We've given the Pac-12 all sorts of crap the, yeah. over the last many many years for not being much of anything. So while while it's sad to see the conference go away, this 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 year was an outlier compared to what several of the previous years have been. Absolutely. I mean, and again, I stand by not this. No, 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 it's okay. I, 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 we we kind of hinted at it a couple weeks ago. I stand by this. I I think this is the best conference in college football this year. Absolutely. Um I don't I don't disagree with that at all. Um so uh I I, I think I think also like <laughs> Michael Penix reminded us like <laughs> like what what what's the phrase like I I I just gonna like remember that song. Um, no, it doesn't matter. I won't remember the name of it. But he, he essentially said, "Remember my name." <laughs> like Michael Penix, he said, he essentially said, "Y'all been disrespecting me for almost a month now. Let let me show y'all what's up, dude." He had some dimes that he dropped in this game. Also, even though he had a really good game, Dylan Johnson should have been the MVP of this game, and he wasn't. It was Michael Penix. Dylan Johnson. 28 carries, 152 yards, 5.4 yards of carry, and two touchdowns. Dylan Johnson got the work in in this game. Yeah, I felt like Michael Penix did a big number, did a big uh, number for his Heisman Trophy campaign in this game. Just that fourth quarter alone. Yep. You know, and and you go from the sequence because I walked in, turned the TV on, and Michael Penix is dropping back to throw. He's letting he's trying to let go of a pass and it fumbles in out into the flat and Oregon jumps on top of it. And then they do the replay and ever so slightly, 
He just gets that arm going forward, and it's an incomplete pass. And it takes him a while. Oregon makes him earn it. Bo Nix, or I'm sorry, Michael Penix has to run around the corner and put his shoulder down and pick up a first down with a really tough run. And then finally, they get down closer and closer and closer. Oregon keeps, you know, stopping them and stuffing them. And finally, they score that touchdown. And I guess that's the one. Let me double check it. I think, yeah, that's the, well, I guess it's the Dylan Johnson one-yard touchdown run. Either way, to go up 24, uh, 27-24, and you think to yourself, boy, that is, uh, you know, that almost fumble turned into a touchdown is, is a that's a huge drive. Took them forever to get it, but it was a huge drive. And then they come back down the rest of the way and the two-yard touchdown to Moore, also a really immaculate drive that takes up six minutes and 20 seconds. It's 12-play, 82-yard drive. That, again, another one where it kind of felt like Oregon was doing everything they could to try to stop it, and Washington just kept inching forward and inching forward, and finally a two-yard touchdown pass, and it's a 10-point ball game. Just those 10 points, I looked up two touchdowns later thinking, man, this game's this over. This game's over. And then you look, and it's only a 10-point game. Those two touchdowns felt like backbreakers for Oregon, even though they weren't. It felt just, you know, I looked up and saw a 10-point game and was very surprised. And there was, what, two minutes left in the game, two minutes and 14 seconds left. And then Treshawn Holden has a 63-yard touchdown play, one of the best plays of the year. And you're thinking, here we go. It's it's a three-point game. What in the world? And then again, Washington answers back with, you know, the first downs that they need to sort of ice the ball game. Yeah, they just, I, I think the best way to put it is fourth. like, they would not be denied, Washington. Mm-hmm. They they just were no, not. That's, that's a good way to say it. Yes, that they were not going to be denied this this game, this win. <sighs> Alabama, or sorry, not Alabama. Um, uh, my, Michael Penix is is one of my favorite quarterbacks in this class. If he wasn't thirty two, I would probably want him to pl- you know play for the Falcons. But he, man, he's old. Um. Michael uh, Penix I, is thirty-two. No, no, I was just—I was, oh, just was about I was just, to say. Sorry, I was just being sarcastic. Thirty-two uh, he, sounded like a real enough number. However, <laughs> however, he he has played the most years. Like he doesn't have the most games, like Bo Nix, because Bo Nix played so much as a freshman. But he does have—he has been playing the league for six years, as opposed to Bo Nix, which was five. Um, I—I I don't know. I—I I thought. Um, man, I, I thought this, I thought Oregon was going to win this. Um, but anyway, all right, since let's talk about these other games that we can kind of get through quickly. Cause there's, there's really not a lot to, to say about them. Uh, Michigan beat Iowa 26, nothing. I watched this game. It was one of the most boring games I've ever watched. I watched it as a friend's house and we, we ended up talking about theology and, the Bible and things like that, instead of talking about, or, and like we watched the game because it was on, but we ended up getting distracted talking about other things. You didn't have a good time watching Iowa's punter do that. Deacon Hill, like it's not his fault, but he sucks. And this, like, it is a joke that the Ferenz family has allowed. Uh, like, reg- I understand that Cade McMahon got hurt, 
But the fact that you have no one else but this essentially offensive lineman who can toss it 10 yards as your quarterback is just disgusting. Just disappointing. Um, all right. So, sir, let, okay, let, let's talk about Oklahoma State, Texas, where uh, Texas just took Oklahoma State out back and beat them like a drum. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty impressive. What was the score at halftime? What is that? Uh, Thirty-five to fourteen at halftime. Jeez, Louise. Yeah, they had like uh, they were the first time in history. Like it was either first time in Big Ten, Big Twelve history. Like a team had 300, 350 yards pass. I think it was some like ridiculous stat. Like it was the first time they had had that many yards or that many touchdowns or whatever in one in one half um since they're like quietly like we'll talk about we're going to talk about this in a minute but quietly texas is really freaking good i think when texas is on and their offense is clicking they're they're just as good as anybody else in the country we've i think we've just found them having hiccups whether that's the offense on you know on some sort of uh hitting a speed bump or it's the defense that's having trouble when they're on and things are really working for them they're virtually unstoppable they have the potential to be that yeah that their 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 defensive line their defensive line may be the best in the country um they're well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll break down, you know, Spencer, let, let's okay, let's go into that real quick. Let, let's talk about Louisville FSU and then we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the playoff real quick. We're not picking games or anything, but we're just going to talk about the playoff picture. All right, Florida State plays an absolute the second, the suck, second ugliest game of the weekend, play a horrible game against Louisville. They win 16 to 6, they win by 10 with their third string quarterback because Tate Rodmaker was recovering from an obvious concussion that he had last week. And Louisville could not do anything offensively. Plummer looked awful in this game. They shut down James Thrash for the most part. And like, but, but I'm going to be honest with you, Spencer, like watching this game, I, I, I was not impressed at all by Florida state. Like I just wasn't. Cause I just saw, no, Yeah. Cause I just watched Louisville lose to Kentucky the week prior so I knew they were gettable. And FSU FSU has a really good defense. And but man, offensively they were just it was so hard to watch. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I mean eight of twenty one for fifty five yards. Yeah, no. This was this was I mean, why they I mean they did run the ball forty four times, obviously. Yeah. Um and Brock Glenn had a lot of the lost yards on on sacks. Um they went they went 44 for 215 gained uh and so it's probably just under 200 yards that's the main running backs um Toafili, Benson and Hill yeah i mean it was a it was a pretty rough night for florida state and i think they knew it was going to be that the fact that brock glenn threw the ball 21 times is pretty surprising uh even with the 44 rushes yeah, no, this I don't think too many people were expecting a whole lot. I kind of turned the game off because I figured Louisville's gonna Louisville's, Louisville's going to steal this game 
just because Florida State just doesn't have enough offensively. And yeah. to the to the credit of the Seminoles, their defense said, "No, yeah. we're not. Uh, we're not having that." The defense was the the defense would not be denied. Like that was that mm-hmm. again. That was something that happened, you know, with them. But Spencer, and this will segue into the playoff. I I really do feel this way, and, and we're going to talk about the, the selection committee. But I do think the ugly performance they had. And not just this week. People need to remember this. It's not just this week. Tate Rodemaker did not look good last week against Florida. If they could have shown any resemblance of still being a good a good offense, I think they get in the playoff. But they but they didn't. They 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 just they looked for the last week they have looked very pedestrian offensively. And so what ends up happening, guys, we we have the playoff committee who chooses Y'all know, but I'll just say it anyway. Michigan one, Washington two, uh, Texas three, and then Alabama four. Spencer, what was your reaction to this? All, all, all of, you know, the selection committee and like whenever you saw who was who the four. Yeah, so I I was watching. I basically was following along on Twitter, and it you know Michigan, and then it was Washington, and then it was Texas. And then it was sort of people were tweeting out things like, is it Bama or is it Florida State? And, oh, my gosh, what is it? Because I think they went Georgia at six. And so it was like, all right, well, what is it? You know, what in the world? What in the world? And I I kept thinking to myself, they're going to do it. They're they're not going to put Florida State in. Something about the anticipation just made me say they're not going to do it sort of like that moment in a tv show where you're like oh this is about to go sideways mm-hmm. and then it goes sideways yep and there was no no other indication other than the anticipation was just it okay this is going sideways because why wouldn't they are they really are they really after what happened to tcu in the national championship game last year are they really gonna go with the third string quarterback the team with the potential third string quarterback or second string quarterback do they really want that out on the on the field if they can avoid it and i again i don't know how how rigged it is from that standpoint but that was where my mind was going and then when bama was said i was like yep okay the the, the jalen milrow or tate rodemaker jalen milrow or tate rodemaker i think that's where they went or that was yeah you asked where yeah. my thoughts were and i think that's yeah, where yeah. my thoughts were i i think I think both things can be true. FSU deserved to be in because they were an undefeated Power 5 conference champion. But also, with the loss of Jordan Travis, Alabama is the much better team. Like, both yes. things can be so, true, right? Right, yeah. And, and I've been saying it a lot today. I don't love this, but I understand it. because, yes. And I'm not outraged because I understand it. While Florida State, like you said, everything they can control, they they took care of. And that's what we always tell everybody, especially from a sports standpoint. Control the controllables. And that's football. That's life. That's your uh, relationships, your career, whatever. Control what you can control. And Florida State did that, and there's no reason why they should be punished or left out. But Alabama deserves to be in also. Whether who who has the better resume or who has the better whatever, 
you can debate that all you want to. And and the the committee feeling as though that they can assign a value to Jordan Travis, that's probably not an area you should get into. Whether you're the committee or you're me or you're you or you're Pate or you're uh, Kurt Herbstreet or anybody. The value, you know, trying to say you can indicate the value of a play, one single player, that's tough. The only reason we do it here is because it's a quarterback. If yeah. it was Jared Verse, do you think that they would hold them out because of Jared Verse on the defensive no. line who could be that kind of a factor for Florida State? No. Without question. If Jordan Travis was the starting quarterback and it was Jared Verse that was out, they that would have never entered this conversation. But because it's the quarterback, we think we can determine that. Because I think there's some sort of we make some sort of easy there's an easy connection that we make. So, yeah, yeah Florida State got hammered or screwed or whatever. Um, yeah, and I, I think again, I think, I think Alabama think, also deserves to be in too. Yeah, I, th- I think again I think both things can be right. Yeah. FSU did get screwed. Alabama deserves to be in. They got it right. Like both both those things can be true. Now I want to say this because I've been saying this with I said this to anybody who would listen to me on on Sunday or yesterday. I've been, I said it today at our lunch table at work talking to my friends. You know, while we eat, there was not a chance in hell that this committee, with their TV product, was going to allow an SEC team not to be in this playoff. There is, yeah, they, there's a lot of TV product arguments to be made. There, they were truly, they were truly going to lose so much revenue and viewership if the SEC is not in this game. And I believe that. I believe that wholeheartedly. And and here's here's a step further. I, I'm going to say this too. People who may not want to believe this. But I don't care. I, I think it, I think it's 100% true. I wish I could find the universe in which this occurs so I could videotape it. But I'm telling you right now, if Bama loses to Auburn and Auburn, Auburn blitzes three or they freaking just knock the pass down or they do better coverage and they, and they beat Bama two weeks ago, I firmly believe regardless of this result, Georgia would have been in the playoff because they were not going to allow an SEC team to not be in the playoff. So even a two-loss Alabama national uh, SEC champion would have been out, but Georgia with one loss non-champion would have been in? Yes. I believe that. Wow. Oh, man. How about uh, that? Because, because I, cause I'm telling you, I just don't believe that they were going to allow an SEC team not to be in this playoff. Now, yes, we... The state, we, of, the state of Alabama would pick itself up and leave the United States. Yeah, <laughs> just, like, just like the state of Florida wants to do right now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, also Spencer, like here's the funny part about this. Everybody's throwing such a fit about FSU not being in and, and rightfully so like more people talking about college football, reading, watching more college football is always good. You know, it's the same thing with Dion. Like people can hate Dion all he wants, but you know, uh, he brought, he brought, it's like, if you go look at the top 10 most viewed games this season, I think he has four of them. Like that is incredible. That, that is so good. Mm-hmm. But, but here's something I, I have to point out the hypocrisy of, of this whole sham. How come no one's throwing a fit about Michigan getting in so easily with when it's obvious that they cheated for three or four of their games this season? Why is no one talking about that concept? Why is everyone okay with that? 
Why is no one talking about the fact that Washington had a much better resume than Michigan and still Michigan got number one because of who they are? Like, no one's writing pieces about that. No one's talking about that because apparently that's okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. I think the – so, and here we go. I've said this before, and I told myself I wouldn't do it, but here I am doing it. For me, buddy, t- tell I ain't heard nothing. You tell me. The object of this business that you and I are dabbling our little big toe in, and from whether it's our level or it's you know where ESPN is and all those other things, pick a side, stick to it, and if you can get outraged. And if you can be Stephen A. Smith, you can be Skip Bayless, you can be Shannon Sharp, you can just go over the top about whatever it is, go for it. Go for it. Get outraged. Whether it's does ketchup belong on a hot dog or what is the best policy for such and such state under such and such, you know, situation. It doesn't matter. The importance to to little importance. The most to little. Be outraged. So what's the what's the easier thing to be outraged about, or what's the more fresh thing to be outraged about? Because that's a big deal. Be fresh. We got to talk about fresh. Who's let's say things that people aren't saying or haven't said yet. What's the new fresh thing to jump onto? The Michigan cheating scandals, old news. We've put that behind us. The sign stealing. Ah, whatever. This is fresh. Now be outraged about the fresh thing. I like doing what we do, and I did radio for a long time, where, again, ooh, be outraged on radio. Rush Rush Limbaugh, oh, boy, be outraged. Ugh. That's the business. That's this business. So I think that's why everybody's flipping out now, because this is the fresh thing, and this is easy, low-hanging fruit to be outraged about and you sound and you sound like the champion oh we're championing the little guy we're we're championing the team that's been that's been you know left out and and oppressed and uh, whatever other words you want to use we're championing the little guy oh poor florida state and look at the big bad system over there Mm. look at the big bad system yeah it's rigged it's it's whatever i've heard so many people it's disgusting this is this is just disgusting Okay. No. Okay. No. I think I think that's I think that's valid. Like, do you think? Do you think like like, not to not to turn this around, but like, do you think I'm wrong though in pointing out the fact that we we haven't no one's talking about the Michigan part of this? No, I think that's I think the reason they're not doing it. It, it, yeah, it, it's because no, they're, cho- they're, they're choosing the thing. Right. To, they're, choosing. they're choosing the more modern thing, the more accurate, like the more present day thing to be mad about. Right? Is that, that's what you're right. saying? Selective outrage, if you, if yeah. you will. We've yeah. already been outraged about Michigan. That's long gone now. It's yesterday's news. This is the fresh thing. So, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. It's not unreasonable uh, to bring that up. And yeah, no, I agree with you. Also, like, so, like, so I made a post. I don't know if my friend Matt's listening. I hope you are, buddy. 
Um, I, I made a comment last night or yesterday before this whole thing went down, before everything got announced. Um, let me see what I, the exact words I used. Um, I said, oh, I said, we're going to we're, we're going to this was Saturday night. We're going to find out how horrible this committee is. There's going to be some very upset fans tomorrow, maybe some fans in the South specifically. I was alluding to FSU because I just in no way did I think in my brain that they were actually going to allow they're going to do the right thing and and keep keep Bama out. And my friend, my friend Matt, who I, who I do love dearly, like he he thought he thought I was alluding to um, he thought I was alluding to Georgia not getting in the playoff or or, or something like that or or that you know, that they haven't been horrible in, in some regard. And, or he, he just made assumptions of what I was talking about, but I've been saying this all season that this committee has had a sec bias and they've been putting teams in the, in the top 25 to prop up their argument for the top four to five teams. And, and then when the final rankings come out, Tennessee is still ranked, still ranked in the top 20. And, and they have continued to be this, and they have yet that they and they they talk out of both sides of their mouth. They use one argument when it benefits them, and the other argument when it benefits them. There, they're not consistent. They don't give the best for. They don't give the most deserving across the board. They don't. They do, they're never consistent with what they say. And then the fact that they were able to add in the concept of loss of coach or loss of player will be will be considered. Well. And now in this situation, Spencer, first of all, I, I, I know this sounds, sounds hyperbolic to those who may not be who may not pay attention to the bigger the bigger uh, catechism of, of uh, NFL football or I'm sorry, of college football. But Spencer, I don't think you're going to be too. I don't think you're going to be too surprised by this. Spencer, I do think that this may be the end of the ACC. Like, I'm not saying they're going to end tomorrow, but I do think this may be the final nail in the coffin of the ACC. Um, elaborate. So a lot of people are are pointing out the fact, like the the big argument, like you know, um, Bud Elliott and and Tom Tom Fernelli are pointing out like th- that this was the final nail. You know, you had FSU this past offseason in Miami trying to find ways to get out of their contract with the ACC, and then you you play a whole season, you go undefeated, and your conference is not respected enough to be put into the college football playoff over a one loss SEC team because your viewership is not that high. You don't bring in that much money compared to the SEC. And now like, and, it, and that was the big thing they were complaining about this offseason was the money aspect of it. And then you come in and you look at this and you have coaches, <laughs> which is by the way, this is the worst thing that should have been allowed to be on air. And I cannot believe that they allowed this to happen, but they said on air, I don't know if you watched this part, Spencer, but they said on air that coaches that the coaches that were on the committee argued, who would you not want to play? That cannot be a metric for how you're picking a national champion playoff, national championship playoff. And because to a guy at go ahead. ahead. No, no, you go ahead, buddy. I was going to say, I talked to a guy at at VSU, one of the people in their administrative um, um, offices. And he talked about getting together some of, you know, the Elon Musk's and the Mark Cubans and the Bill Gates and the whoever else and and getting back to building some sort of college football 12 team playoff um, artificial intelligence. 
that's just going to be able to factor in all of these different things. Now, he included players being injured and such. And I thought, I don't know about that. But either way, he just kind of kept going. And he mentioned, you know, an artificial intelligence and getting back and, and taking out the human element that probably has more, more flaws than maybe we realized. Um, going back to some sort of BCS and, and instead of two teams, it's 12 teams or four teams or eight teams or whatever we end up doing in the future. I know it's 12 teams right now. But and and part of me says if the human room does what you just described and they also try to factor in things like players being injured, which I know Vegas, I guess, would factor in Jordan Travis being out. So maybe that's not entirely the worst thing. Um, maybe we do need to go back to some sort of formula that doesn't have the overwhelming biases that can come into play in, in a human room because they will, who Alabama is, will Josh Pate said this very beautifully. We all have a, there is an Alabama bias because you almost can't help, but not to have one. You give them the benefit of the doubt because they've just proven themselves so many times. Nick Saban does. There's an SEC bias because we know that the talent in this country from a high school football standpoint is in this area. It's in Florida. It's in Alabama. It's in Georgia. It's in the Carolinas. It's in Louisiana. It's down here. It's just so rich down here. And when the teams down here recruit down here, it just there's a bias that just creeps in no matter what, and you can't control it. And it can be different when you look over at Alabama, and then it's different when you look at Louisiana State, and then it's a little bit skewed differently when you go to Georgia and Florida and FSU and whoever. It switches and it molds and it goes differently no matter who you're looking at. So, yeah, Rob, maybe it's time to maybe it's time to get rid of some of the the bias that you can't control, the subconscious bias that you can't control that enters these rooms and causes you to say things like, well, who wouldn't you want to play? And you, just get you, back you agree to that's, a, an artificial you, you, intelligence. You agree that's the most idiotic thing ever, right? Like, yeah, e- I even... I just got done saying, yeah. No, no, I know, but like, even if, even if it is said, like, okay, even if it is said in that room, you cannot let people know that. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, the fact that you said it is dumb, and then the fact that you let people know that you said it is dumb. Yeah, sure. I just, uh, I, I, again, I was completely blown away by that. I, I just, I think the ACC is in a lot of trouble. I think they're in a lot of trouble financially. I think they're in a lot of trouble now because of this, because it's, it, just, it just proves the point that no one respects their conference. And, and I just don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. Um, Spencer, just, just very quick. And then we're going to get out of here because I, I got to go to bed. Spencer, just, we, I don't want picks or anything like that, but kind of just give me give me your initial thoughts on these two playoff games. How, how are you feeling about it? Like, do you think they're going to be good games? Um, what are your thoughts? Before I do that, I wanted to, one more thought that I had about the whole thing. And I know okay. we've talked about rigged, and people have said those words, and – that's fine. I think, you know, um, rigged for the SEC or, you know, whatever the rigged is. If anything's rigged, my mind immediately goes to, boy, doesn't this conundrum, this mess 
this leaving Florida State out, boy, doesn't this whole thing just sound like, man, what could we do to fix this? Wouldn't it be good if we could just have more spots available in the playoff? <laughs> yep. Look at there. Bing. 12-team yep. playoff next year. If it's rigged, boy, don't you think those guys in that com- that are on that committee that stand to make a lot of money in years to come and, and could use a lot of just good momentum going forward for the 12-team playoff, doesn't this feel like that? I would not be surprised if by Wednesday, maybe even tomorrow, but that by Wednesday, people are saying things like, good thing we got a 12-team playoff coming. Dan Patrick and Mike Greenberg and Colin Cowherd and whoever else it is with a national microphone start saying things like, boy, it's a good thing we got a 12-team playoff coming. Boy, it's a good thing we got that 12-team playoff coming. Yep. Because that's that that's if it's rigged in any direction, that's the one I'll buy the most. I mean, for me, for me, I'm I am glad that we're getting a 12 team playoff now. Because there won't be any more of this. Because I'm telling See? you right now, I'm telling you right now, there you go, I, right there. I, I'm not gonna be upset about freaking I'm not going to be freaking upset about ten and two Missouri versus nine and three Iowa getting in that twelve spot. I'm just, I'm just not. Right. You're I'm not, not. You're nobody's going to give two shakes of a lamb's tail. Thank you, Pulp Fiction. About number the thirteenth or fourteenth team in the country. Maybe not. we will two two or three years down the line, and we say it should have been this and it should have been that. But we're not going to get this upset about it. It'll Agreed. be a footnote on the conversation versus the entire like. The entire legislation of Florida is up in arms about this. I don't think that's going to happen with the 13th spot and the 12th spot in that yeah. playoff. You're right. I yeah. I just I just don't. I don't. I don't think we're going to care. And, and look, I've been pro. I've been pro playoff expansion from the get go. I know that you have kind of wavered back and forth because you see both sides of the argument. But this right here, again, like. Spencer, like, also, like, wasn't it awesome, though, going into the final weekend of the season and there were eight teams, finally, eight teams who legitimately had a chance to go to the playoff? If that continues, great. Yes. It'll be great if that continues. Yes. But then again, won't all, aren't all eight of those teams in the 12-team playoff? Like, is it is yeah, it that I, exciting? I think I think my point being was just it was eight more teams I'm sorry. Yes, it was eight teams fans who believed they had a shot going into the last weekend or going into the first weekend in December, where normally it's four teams, four teams fans. And and, and again, it's not about being a national champion. It's about having 12 12 to 14 fans teams being dialed in and watching games and caring about their team season going into the end of November. And that, to me, matters. Right. And I guess I'm thinking, and I know we've been over this. Yeah, yeah. But it, if you, you yeah. only have so many attribute points, and you and once you move those important game attribute points from the top five, and you try to and you and you're thinking to yourself, we're just going to stretch that to twelve and make it more important for everybody. It doesn't work that way because you take importance away from the top five, and then you just slide it backwards to now it's 
seven, six, you know, or seven, eight, nine, ten, and you know, whatever the numbers are. You you have a you have a little meter and you're moving it versus stretching the importance. That yeah. part of it, I think, is where my mind gets hooked in thinking, okay, we got to be careful because how do we keep it more important for the one, two, three, and four? And I've always said bye weeks. And if we can throw bye weeks in, we can throw other opportunities that those top four spots or five spots mean more. Great. That'll that'll soothe me over quickly, smooth me over quickly. Because then I think you're stretching the importance. You're keeping those one through four and five spots important so that Georgia and Alabama are playing for something because, hey, that bye week would be nice to get rested up. Wouldn't Brock and, and Lad McConkey love to get rested up? I think you got to – that's where my mind gets hung up on. No, I, I get that. I, I, I think – I think we, I think, I mean, I, I do think that this is going to happen. We're going to have a team. Let's just use Georgia, for example. And, and people are going to say, no way Kirby would do that. You know, but like, I mean, I think this is a reality. I do think in the 12 team playoff, you're going to have teams like Georgia who are, you know, top tier, top six team realizing that, hey, you know, maybe winning the conference championship isn't the most important thing. It's just getting in the tw- top 12. And I could easily see them sitting players to rest them in conference championship Saturday like this this yeah, this how do you avoid that yeah this may end like the the, the 12 team playoff the, the negative side effect to it may essentially end a, the conference championship to some degree I mean they're never going to cancel the games because it brings in so much money but I do think that I do think that this could change that I don't disagree with that but again, yeah. you, my, you have to keep those important, and I think you, that means yeah. you have to you have to add bye weeks to those top four, and then Agreed. the first round is eight or, or I guess five through twelve or whatever the numbers are. Yeah, yeah. Um, to answer the question that you asked forty five million years ago, uh, Alabama and Michigan, Texas and Washington feels like good matchups. You could have you know Penix and, and Ewers getting into a shootout. That could be a lot of fun. Washington better be careful, though, because Texas might have the defensive line to uh, to sort of control that game and kind of keep Washington at bay. It'll be interesting to see Dylan Brooks and the rushing attack of Washington against Texas's big front. But then, you you know, Alabama and, and Michigan feels like the Alabama or the Georgia-Michigan game from a few years ago where it's like, oh, boy, here's two people that are just going to line it up and say, I'm coming right at you. Oh, yeah, we're coming right at you, too. And then just butt heads the whole game, thinking we're gonna we're gonna push you off the line. No, we're gonna push you off the line, and it just be like a sumo wrestling match the whole night. That 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 could be a lot of fun. Shootout on one side and big bully ball man, you know, man stuff um, on the other side could be a lot of fun. I also think it's interesting that there is a there there's a. I agree with you. I think both. I think actually both matchups could be really good. I don't think people realize that there is there is a very very good possibility that that Washington is the kryptonite for Texas, where the other two teams that are in the playoff are not. Um, Washington throws the ball incredibly well. We've already talked about that, and you know what Texas doesn't really do very well against the pass. And and then at the same time on the other in the other game. Michigan probably has the best offensive and defensive line tandem that Bama has seen all year. 
So both those games, I think, could be really good. I hope they are. Yeah, no, it would be great for them to be competitive games. And it feels like they will be. Just keep in mind a couple of things real quick. Georgia stuff. Brad Vandegrift went to the portal. Everyone's waiting to see what Carson Beck decides. I do have it on good authority. Like earlier tonight, I got I got a text. The belief right now, the feel is that Carson Beck's going to come back and that Gunner Stockton is coming back as well. There's expectations five or six. Now they have the hiccups. The, the expectation is that five or six more guys are going to join the portal than they already have for Georgia. And uh, Georgia is supposed to focus highly on defensive linemen and wide receiver in the portal, which isn't surprising at all. Um, oh, that guy from uh, Texas A&M's in there. Yeah, Walter Nolan. Uh, Georgia, yeah. Georgia almost got him, but Texas A&M outbid for him. Uh, the, the just just to throw this out there, Spencer, because I haven't I haven't had a chance to text you and tell you this. Um, Humphreys, uh, the he's the number one rated wide receiver currently right now. In the portal, he is a freshman this year for Vanderbilt. Um, there is full expectation, all but almost guaranteed, that he is actually going to come to Georgia. Um, if you want to, if you want to see any tape on him, go watch this year's Georgia Vanderbilt game, and he scores that first opening big touchdown against Georgia. But yeah, the the portal is going to take away, but the portal is going to give really well. Um, I firmly believe that. I've been told that numerous times. Georgia's about to do some really good things in the portal to fix some of these issues that cause, like, because you and I both know this. It's, this happened with Saban at Alabama. I believe it happens. It happens to Kirby. You're going to get him once because of a deficiency. You're not going to get him again. Like he's going to fix that. He's going to fix that deficiency. You know. Um, so. All right, Spencer, I'm spent. That's all I got, buddy. Okay, very good. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. We'll catch you on the flip-flop. Later. Later.